The battle of wizards and warriors continues with iron swords. The evil wizard Malkil will take the shape of the earth, wind, water, and fire. Farewell! The fate of the world is in your hands! You're listening to the Piercing Wizard Podcast, and I'm your host, Ryan Willett. I'm a professional body piercer with 20 years experience, I travel around the world teaching technique and safety classes, and I'm a member of the Association of Professional Piercers. Listen in as I talk to my friends and colleagues about our industry so we can all stay sharp. Hi everybody, how you doing? Thanks for coming back to the show, and I've got a special episode for you this week. Uh, A few months back, I kind of put it out there that I was interested in having maybe some guest hosts on the show, and while I was at the APP conference in Las Vegas this past spring, uh, UK APP president Nikki Holmes came up and asked if she could borrow my recorder because she wanted to do a sit-down interview with Gauntlet founder and APP founder Jim Ward, and that's exactly what she did. It was Nikki along with Bador Ramji from Punk Medics in Canada. Uh, They sat down with Jim, and uh, they just had a kind of a nice conversation, and I, I think most conversations with uh, with Jim at conferences like this kind of revolve around how did it start? You know, tell us about the beginning of the industry uh, when body piercing was kind of growing out of the realms of something that was done in in private spaces to something that was done in businesses. Uh, Jim Ward was the the person on the ground making that happen. So uh, they talk about kind of the the creation and the evolution of things like body jewelry, but also body piercing needles. You know, where did they come from? Uh, How were those first needles? You know, where were they acquired from or or how were they created? And what was it like piercing with needles that weren't necessarily made for body piercing? There were a lot of challenges in the early days of body piercing. A lot of things had to be adapted from other uses. And, uh, you know, Jim Ward was, was really a pioneer, not only in the organization and, and, and the business sense, but also in the creation of different jewelry styles, different piercing techniques, uh, creating the different piercing supplies that our entire industry is, is based on. Uh, as the conversation goes on, they talk a good amount about uh, the history, what was going on in those early days of Gauntlet, uh, and then they kind of come around to modern day and uh, uh, what Jim would like to see in the industry and uh, different comparisons to the the American piercing market and the UK piercing market talking about uh, it's more than just providing a service it's about creating an experience uh, and it's a really good conversation uh, it's a short conversation it's a, a little under a half an hour uh, but it's a really good one so if you haven't really had the chance to learn about a lot of the history of the especially the early days of our industry uh, this is going to be a, a really good interview for you so just to give you a little bit of information about the people on the episode uh, obviously you'll have uh, Jim Ward, founder of The Gauntlet, founder of uh, the APP. Uh, Jim wrote a fantastic book called Running the Gauntlet, uh, shares kind of the, the same sort of concept as this interview, talks a lot about the, the history of the professional piercing industry. You can find that online at runningthegauntlet-book.com, and that is a great way to support uh, a pioneer of the industry who's not currently piercing anymore. Uh, if you wanted to help support Jim, uh, you can definitely buy this book online. You can buy it, again, at runningthegauntlet.com book.com. You can also buy it on safepiercing.org. The APP also sells Jim's book. And you can also just find it on Amazon, too. Uh, it's called Running the Gauntlet. 
you can find a lot more information about the UKAPP at ukapp.org.uk. Uh, Nikki Holmes is the current president, and they are ramping up and heading into their conference season. They're offering another conference uh, October 6th through 8th in Manchester, England. That's a great conference. Uh, I was lucky enough to be asked to be one of the instructors, so I'll be there along with a, a lot of other really fantastic piercers from across the UK. And of course you can find uh, Bedore's offerings at punkmedics.com. Uh, lots of great aftercare products for body piercing and tattooing, so go ahead and check those out. But for now, let's get into this great interview with Nikki Holmes and Bedore Ramji interviewing Jim Ward from The Gauntlet. Hi there, my name is Nicole Holmes and I'm the current UK APP president, the Association of Professional Piercers over in the UK. We've been going since 2015. I've been piercing since 1999, so I finally get my 20-year badge this year, which Woo. is a badge of honour that I'm very proud to wear. <laughs> and I'm here with two other people. Badur, would you like to go first? Uh, sure. Uh, my name is Badur. I own uh, Punkmatics. We're the original makers of Holy Butter, and I've been active in the industry for well over 20 years um, yeah thank you I think my first piercing is 25 years old oh week. wow <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Jim Ward I started a little business in 1975 called Gauntlet uh, which was to the best of anyone's knowledge the first body piercing studio in the world Oh, wow. Or at least the first studio dedicated exclusively to body piercing. There were a few people like Mr. Sebastian in, in England who uh, was a tattooist who also did piercing. And people like Tattoo Sammy in Frankfurt who was also a tattooist but who did piercing on the side. But uh, Gauntlet was the first studio that was dedicated exclusively to body piercing. That's exciting. That's very exciting. You must have been crazy busy when it first opened. There must have been a lot of hurdles that you had to jump over to get well, open. I don't know whether I would say crazy busy <laughs> uh, because in the mid seventies, mid to late 70s, um, it was still a, a very unknown quantity. I remember going into a, a gay bar and conversing with the guy who said, you know, what do you do? And I told him I did body piercing and he said, you make a living doing that? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that was pretty much the state in, in that time. I'm you know. trying to. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I still get the same <laughs> response. They're like, you make a living out of making aftercare products? <laughs> <laughs> so you, you began working from home. Yes. How did people get in touch with you? How did they find you? Well, I had a mentor, the man who was largely responsible for me getting into this and starting the business. His name was Doug Malloy. Mm -hmm. He was a millionaire. Uh, Doug Malloy was his, what a friend called, gnome de kink. <laughs> um, his real name was Richard Simonton. He was a, a millionaire. He had made a fortune. Uh, partly from electronics patents. He had an electronic engineering uh, background and had made a bunch of money on his patents. But a huge part of his fortune came from Muzak. I don't know if you people in the UK know about Muzak, but no. it was 
what we call or was called elevator music. <laughs> uh, it was back in the 40s, 50s, it was ubiquitous. If you went into a, a particularly an elevator, you'd hear this soft music in the background. And it was popular in places like restaurants and, mm. you know, it, places where people congregated. So. And it was, it was everywhere. And he made a, a lot of money from it. How, uh, how did he get into body piercing? What was the connection? What was the jump? He had a, fa- a fetish for it, yeah, like yeah. so many people. And it was a sexual thing for him. Um, he basically said that, you know, placing that little piece of metal in certain strategic locations mm-hmm. will greatly enhance your sex life. Yep. And that was the direction that we came from in the, in the very beginning. That was what made it fascinating for me, is it felt good. Yeah, heck yeah. Did you ever pierce each other? I pierced, uh, actually I think I only pierced his ear, <laughs> and, and he didn't keep it. Less fun. <laughs> <laughs> he was very closeted about it. And it turned out after he died, everybody knew, but uh, it created its own set of problems, the fact that he was so closeted about the whole thing. Yeah. It's a difficult era to be owning something like that, though, these days. You can definitely own that. You can say what you're doing and why you're doing, and you won't be judged so much. I imagine as a millionaire back then, people would be looking to him in a different light, so it must have been very hard being in that situation. Well, he was significantly older than I, yeah. and uh, he also was married with a family. Yeah. And uh, at one point he actually told me, he said that had he been born at a later time, he would probably have been gay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and at that part, point in his life, he was embracing that side of himself more openly. Well, as openly as he felt comfortable within this little group of people. And this is the the long way of answering your question. It was Doug who uh, suggested that I start the business because he learned that I knew how to make jewelry. I'd taken some professional jewelry making classes. I'd made some jewelry. And uh, I had a boyfriend who wanted his nipples pierced. And when I inquired about jewelry, I asked Doug, where can I get jewelry? And he said, oh, there's this guy in San Diego who will make you a couple of rings for $200. Wow. And that's in 1975 money. Wow. $200 from 1975 is actually $949. Oh my God, that's how much those gold rings would be. $1,000 for a ring. So uh, I said, I don't think so. (laughs) So it it turned out uh, I lived in West Hollywood. And in Hollywood, there was a lapidary shop uh, that sold not just lapidary supplies, but also jewelry making supplies. Mm -hmm. And I, for $40, I got a torch and some gold wire and the other things that I needed to make the first set of jewelry, first piercing jewelry I ever made. So what shapes were you making? What was the jewelry like then? That and that 
jewelry that I made for my boyfriend was what I called a, a nipple retainer. Mm -hmm. uh, Doug and I, I mean, the, we're talking body piercing in its infancy. Yes, yeah. And uh, so we had this ongoing debate. Would a piercing heal better if it had something straight through it or something curved through it, or did it make any difference? Yeah. And at that point, we thought maybe it was probably better with something straight. Yeah. So the nipple retainer was basically a straight bar that had a, a ring around that connected right. it. Like, you know, those uh, the Roman... Uh, like the badges. The, the pins that they used, yeah. to, the cloak pins yes. the Romans used. Mm. I forget the names for them. Yeah. A fibula? I think so, yeah. Oh. So... Learn something new every day. <laughs> it was kind of like that, similar to that. Not mm. exactly, but similar. And how did that heal? They healed up great. You That's know. fantastic. <laughs> so that was my first jewelry design. And there's a picture of it in my book. <laughs> <laughs> and how did the, the jewelry evolve from there? What were you selling in your shop? What was standard by the time you opened your business? Well, um... I had had a, a, a friend backing up some. I was my first discovered my interest in piercing in the late '60s when I was living in New York. Okay. I uh, discovered that I was into SM, BDSM, and I had met a. I was part of became part of the gay leather scene there in New York, and. Uh, so I had one of my club buddies. I joined a, a, a club, mm -hmm. and he pierced my ear. And I just went to a department store and got a little fixed bead ring, basically. Yep. It was a small ring with the bead attached on one side. Mm -hmm. And then the end went into a hole in the bead. Yep. So it was not my design. It was a an earring design. Yeah. What I brought to it later was to size it so it would be appropriate for body piercing. Yes. I mean, you have need thicker wire, you need larger sizes, and uh, so that's how I evolved that particular design. You asked about the captive bead ring. I personally didn't care for the captive bead ring, especially the ones that were available in that time. Uh, at the time I started Gauntlet, there was a man in Oklahoma named Ray Spain who was making stainless steel body jewelry. Mm -hmm. And I really disliked it. Can uh, you tell me why? The metal was very, very stiff. Okay. And it made it extremely difficult to follow a piercing needle. Yes. So I just really hated it. And I, I never used his jewelry. Yeah. I, I just... I didn't like it. But his ring design was a captive bead ring. Yeah. And of course, if you've got a ring that's got a lot of spring in it, that's practical. Um, my feeling was that since I was exploring piercing as a, an erotic enhancement, 
I was afraid, first of all, that, you know, you're having a good time sexually. What happens if the ball gets loose? That's still a common question today. <laughs> I mean, you, it ends up in the carpet or worse, inside a body cavity. Yeah. And uh, that's not cool. <laughs> and it really, uh, I rejected the idea of the captive bead ring for some time, just simply for that reason. And I just used the fixed bead rings. Uh, that's what we made, that's what we sold for quite some time. The captive bead ring came into my jewelry line, if you will, uh, when I discovered niobium. Right, soft A. Um, I discovered that, you know, I discovered some niobium jewelry at a craft fair that mm -hmm. someone was doing regular costume jewelry out of niobium with the anodized colors. Yeah. And when I found out about it and did some, you know, some research and discovered that it was inert, it was be suitable for body piercing. That's when we started doing niobium jewelry. And since it's not practical, or certainly it wasn't in those days, to solder or fuse a ball onto a ring, the captive was the only really And that's when it became acceptable way. for you. Yeah. And I accepted that, you know, you warn people, you say, <laughs> you be sure and check your balls periodically <laughs> to make sure that they're secure. Uh, I'm loving how timeless some of this adv advice is. So I made a post from my studio just two days before coming here saying the shops, the sh studio's closed for a few days. Everyone needs to check their balls before I go away, you know. <laughs> so this is just timeless advice. Right. I think it's brilliant. Well, you also especially need to do that on your barbells. Yes. Uh, so you've made it sound like you've been using mostly rings in the beginning. Was there a big moment when the bars became an, uh, a eureka moment, or did you phase that in gradually? Um, the biggest problem, of course, as we all know, is the threading issue. Yes. And it's it took a long time for that to for the barbell to evolve. Yeah. I saw the first internally threaded barbells were some stainless steel ones that Tattoo Sami had brought from Germany. Mm -hmm. he, came, he came over periodically to visit with me and with Doug. Yeah. And uh, he brought some stainless steel ones and the design was really good. Um, I had tried making some in gold and that was a real challenge in the beginning, uh, finding learning how to do the tapping and the threading and it was all very primitive because it was all done by hand. Yeah. Um, I, knew, I knew nothing from what a CNC machine was <laughs> and I don't know whether they CNC gold or not. It's probably not practical. But um, it was a lot of trial and error and I remember that finding the balls was a real challenge. I started off initially, I went to the jewelry mart and I bought some earrings, the, the little ball, you know, with the, po the ear post. Yeah. And I cut the post off and soldered the, the thread onto the post, only to discover a couple of things. First of all, there was a tendency for the balls to explode. <laughs> and secondly, the heat, made the gold very, very soft. The yeah. gold was so thin that you could, could dent it with your thumbnail. Wow. And that was obviously not acceptable. Yeah. 
And I got lucky one day. I was uh, at the jewelry mart with a friend, and we were talking in the elevator, and I said something about wanting balls, you know, for my jewelry and in such a way that this person who was in the elevator overheard the conversation and he gave me the name of this company back east. He said, oh, you should check with, I forget the name of the company. Uh, wow. They make no whole balls. <laughs> and uh, we used that, that uh, company, that manufacturer for many, many years. Just a chance meeting. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. And. Uh, even though they didn't have any holes in them, there apparently was enough of a seam somewhere that you could solder them without them exploding, <laughs> or very rarely exploding, let's put it that way. <laughs> exploding bowls, you'd have known it. Was music being played while you were in the elevator? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> so you've seen so many changes in the industry, you've been at this since the very beginning. Uh, well, actually, I retired in the 1998 when Gauntlet went under. But you didn't stop paying attention, did you? Because you're here right now. Oh, well, <laughs> I, I went into a hole for a number of years. <laughs> it was very depressing when my company went under. and um, I hid out for a number of years. The end of an era. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, the company, the uh, the industry has just continued to evolve, obviously, and there have been incredible changes, uh, improvements in materials, you know, the standardization of particular alloys that are suitable for the body. Mm -hmm. These were all things that we weren't particularly aware of. I mean, when Gauntlet started producing stainless, it was like, what kind of stainless do we use? We don't know, and the closest anybody said was low carbon, you know. Um, <laughs> so, um, so after all of this involvement and then your eventual retirement, would you, would you say that uh, Doug Malloy was your biggest influence? Have you had other influences al along your journey that have stood out? He was my major one, but um, I really was pretty left on my own. Doug died in 1978. Okay. And I, w and even then, uh, Doug's piercing techniques and tools and stuff were very primitive. Yeah. When I met him, he had a piercing kit that consisted of some Pennington forceps and some other weird forceps that I don't even know what they, <laughs> what kind they are. And he was using the hypodermic needles that veterinarians use. Yeah, wow. Um, so the, a lot of the evolution and tool design or concepts, I had to kind of invent. I mean, after doing a few piercings with those god-awful needles, uh, I realized this isn't working, you know, very well. Try following that, that bevel with a piece of jewelry and then it, the little light bulb went on and I just cut off the damn syringe coupling. <laughs> and so that's what I did. I buy needles and cut off the syringe couplings. And, uh, and were you using those needles all through your career or did your, your needle choice evolve just as well as your jewelry? Well, we used those, that 
That's what was available, yeah. those veterinarian needles. Yeah. Uh, nobody was making disposable needles, especially in those gauges, those large gauges yeah. that you use for body piercing. Um, so it wasn't until after the AIDS crisis that we became aware of that we really needed to find a source for disposable needles. Yeah. Uh, which we eventually found one of the hypodermic companies that would, they said, oh, well, you need cannulas. That's what they were called by mm -hmm. our... Yeah, we call them cannulas in the UK too. But uh, so we had them manufactured and they were... They were kind of expensive, but you know, you you do what you need to do, and so part of it was not just the expense. They really weren't that sharp. Yeah. And you can imagine that before that, those veterinarian needles that we used, we reused over and over and over. Yeah. I mean, we sterilized them, we autoclaved them in between each use, but. They just kept getting duller and duller and duller, and we never really thought about it. Yeah. We just kept coming up with new <laughs> ways to, <laughs> to be able to get the needle through this <laughs> issue. We had things like thimbles and needle pushers. Mm -hmm. and. Uh, <laughs> so this is where the needle pusher comes from, because yes. I've seen a few of those in some of the older catalogs and often wondered just how much force did you need if you needed a thimble oh, over here, your finger? Way too much, it yeah. It really, I mean, some tissue, as you are well aware, is extremely tough. Uh, yeah. Navels, in particular, I remember as being quite tough. And then you run into people who are tough. Yeah. You run into people who like to have their nipples played with, and they've got a lot of scar tissue in there, um, and <laughs> it takes <laughs> a lot of force to get a needle Bit of through. elbow grease. <laughs> yeah. It was also the time where everybody was, you know, tanning, <laughs> so they all had leather skin. <laughs> the well, best of in days. Southern California too, you yeah, don't exactly. need a tanning booth. No, exactly. you don't need a tanning booth. Just go to the beach. Sunscreen was not a thing back then. So, from all of the evolution that you've seen and that you've witnessed, whether you've been part of it or you've seen it from the sidelines, can you predict what you think might happen next? I cannot. <laughs> I mean. Um, as I have said often, I would love to see body piercing reclaim its uh, erotic roots. As would I, yes. But it's very much about body adornment at this point. Yeah. And that's fine. I, I have no qualms about that, but I feel like people are missing something. <laughs> <laughs> missing out on some of the funner sides of body piercing, yes. eh? Yes. So that, that actually makes me wonder that when you first opened your studio, I imagine it was predominantly men coming for intimate piercings. It was mostly gay men. Did you, did you find that it branched then into female intimate piercings or into the rest of the body before the female population caught on? Well, it was kind of more about groups. Yeah. It started out with gay leathermen primarily. Yeah. Uh, the whole BDSM, gay BDSM. And then... Doug also was uh, acquainted with some people who were into the heterosexual BDSM yeah. group. And we started getting <coughs> some people coming in from <coughs> from that particular community. So it all started with genitals. <laughs> Pretty much. And then, of course, you, and you start seeing the, the bikers and the punks mm -hmm. and the... 
the rockers and it just you know over time it just continued to spread and then in 1989 modern primitives came out yeah and it hit the fan yeah it just everybody wanted to open a body piercing shop somewhere whether they were qualified to do it or not you know it was like oh this is how i can make a lot of money now, the UK is still in quite a difficult position with that. We still don't have anything that would be considered a legally recognized qualification. And there is, all through my career, I feel like I've been saying there's a boom. We're in a boom, we're in a boom, we're in a boom. It's going to drop, it's going to bust, it's going to settle down. And so far in 20 years, it hasn't. And no. I can imagine you think the exact same thing. And I find that there's a lot of young folk opening studios. Now, I know I definitely have advice for some of those people, but you're so experienced. Do you have any advice for the young folk, the newest generation? of pieces it wouldn't do me any good <laughs> because young people tend not to listen <laughs> oh you're um, just an old fogey what do you know wisely uh, said yeah. <laughs> they don't but, listen to me either so yeah you know. i mean pay your dues for crying out loud mm -hmm. uh get some training mm -hmm. do an apprenticeship <laughs> <laughs> an age-old tale isn't it take it your time is. go slow baby steps yeah yeah run, walk before nobody's you uh, probably nobody's listening <laughs> Pro probably not no but it's still nice to have it said because that that is how things should be done i'd like to add that you know you need to learn your history to understand how to move forward in your future mm -hmm, i think it's we've we've all seem to want to try to you know come up with a new idea and experiment and this and that where it's all most of that has already been done yeah you know if you go back and actually know where where piercing came from you'll see all of the mistakes we've all made uh -huh. you know and maybe hopefully learn from those mistakes instead of trying to create them over and over again yeah i see this with jewelry i had a, a young kid run up to me a few days ago saying oh my god do you see how this jewelry fits together this is amazing this is brand new and i looked at it and i didn't want to burst this guy's bubble i was like yeah i think i've seen that in thousand year old jewelry it's just not been done for a while <laughs> <laughs> that's the history of jewelry you know but yeah it's it's not that out there you have to go find it yourself the other thing, it, one of the big traps of this profession is ego. <laughs> Everybody's looking for the next big super-duper piercing mm -hmm. or the next super-duper piece of jewelry or technique or something. Put your ego aside and, you know, as you say, baby steps. Yeah. Look into, yeah, is this something that's going to be safe? Mm-hmm. Or is it going to put somebody at risk? Yeah. And uh, if you want to put yourself out of business, you take risks. Yeah. Yep. You think about the end goal and not the journey. Yeah. Yeah. So I find whenever I'm creating a piercing, from my experience, that it, it's not just a service. You actually are providing an experience for someone. Indeed. So you, you need to be in control of so much of the environment and right down to the music that plays, the color on your walls, it's all part of the experience. And if you don't take that into mind when you're creating this piercing, then it becomes just a service. And as soon as you start to think of it as just a service, then you're no better than a someone working in a mall. You know, mm -hmm. like it's, it, it is an experience. It's it started and was dawned from experiences to better enhance experiences, and that's still part of what we do today. Right. Yeah. All right, I, th I think that's pretty much everything. It's been amazing speaking to you. Thank you My very pleasure. much for taking the time. And you too, Badu. No worries. Thanks. Excellent. Goodbye. Bye.
All right. Thanks, everybody. I really appreciate this one. I think it was a great interview, and I'm really looking forward to maybe getting some more uh, guest hosts in the future. Uh, just to give you that information again, you can always check out ukapp.org.uk. You can get more information on becoming a member of the organization. If you are a piercer in the UK area, you can get more information about attending their amazing conference. Uh, you can check out all of Bedore's products at punkmedics.com, great aftercare products for tattooing and piercing. And I would really urge you, uh, if you're a body piercer or if you're just a fan of body piercing and you'd like to learn more about the industry, uh, pick up Jim Ward's book, Running the Gauntlet. It's a really fantastic book, amazing stories, and it really just gives you a great perspective on what it was like in the early days of body piercing and where our industry really came from. You can find that at runningthegauntlet-book.com. You can also find it on the APP's website, safepiercing.org, and you can also find it on Amazon. So thanks for listening, and I'll be back next week with another episode. For more information about the show, visit piercingwizardpodcast.com or like Piercing Wizard Podcast on Facebook. For more info about your host, visit precisionbodyarts.com or search Ryan PBA on Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr. If you enjoy the show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. Music by Benny B. Blanco. Show copyright 2017, Precision Body Arts, LLC. All rights reserved.